Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Did you know that Illinois now has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? Did you know that? Did not know that. Well, you're going to learn more. As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention. It's June 10th through the 11th, all right? It's brought to you by NECAN. N-E-C-A-N-N. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four, count them four, one, two, three, four, full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice, featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N dot com slash Illinois for information and to register. Yes, Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday. What is today? April 12th. Oh, man. Yeah, that's time flying. <laughs> it's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of reefer to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory. It is Tuesday, April 12th. And this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, the long-awaited return of political strategist and dear friend, Delmarie Cobb. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling it Personal Question Tuesday, and here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? <laughs> yes, I did. Actually, I had a really good weekend. Yeah, chilled wow. out. Went and saw a comedy show. That was cool. Wow. Improv. Wait, wait. Hold on. Uh, you're supposed to say, uh, Ben, uh, the weekend was two days ago. It's Tuesday. I know. Right? But, you know. <laughs> you're putting up with me. Listen. Uh, what comedy show did you see, by the by? Uh, my good friend Spencer, his improv team, Phantom. We got to get Spencer on the show. Got to get memo to D. Get Spencer. You do that thing where you like pick a word and they'll like you know make a scene out of the word. Maybe we should just what? do that. We should do that. We should definitely <laughs> do that. 
Uh, anyway, uh, I have very pressing, important political news to talk about. But I just can I just say something? I'm utterly obsessed with the TV show Abbott Elementary. I love it. 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 And last night at bowling, I said to all the guys, "Oh my God, have you been watching Abbott Elementary?" D, they made fun of me. Well, I haven't felt like this. Yeah, since. You were like, "Oh like, my God, have you seen Abbott Elementary?" Exactly. I said it, and pretty much like that. And it's like these are you know when guys go to bowling. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> You're like, what? It's hilarious. The principal, the lady who plays the, plays the principal, Janelle James, is absolutely hilarious. Pound for pound, the funniest person on TV right now. I'm now imitating guys at bowling. Anyway, don't be like the guys at bowling, ladies and gentlemen. Check out Abbott Elementary. All right, that's not what I'm here to talk about, though. I'm here to talk about Willie Wilson announced yesterday that he's running for mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, right now, we have two people announced candidates in the race. Am I correct? Uh, Raymond Lopez, alderman of the 15th Ward, and Willie Wilson, uh, who is this will be his third run. It's interesting. Chicago is basically a liberal Democratic city. Uh, at least 85 percent of the city uh, voted for um Joey Biden in the last uh, presidential election against Donald Trump. And yet both candidates are of sort of the conservative persuasion. Raymond Lopez was on the show last week, said he, he said it on the show. Dave. We have him on, uh, on uh, well, it's not tape. What is it? We have it recorded. Uh, him uh, saying that he voted for uh, Joe Biden. Willie Wilson. <clears throat> but Ray Lowe was, of course, uh, running a, a, a tough on crime campaign. So it's running from the conservative. He's coming at uh, Lori Lightfoot from the right. By the way, Lori Lightfoot hasn't announced yet. That's interesting. Uh, but I think she will be. She's already assembling a campaign team and raising money. Anyway, Willie Wilson, uh, who contributed money, he's well-to-do, a very successful businessman, and he's contributed money to his campaign. So he doesn't worry about um, raising money. You know, it's like J.B. Pritzker or, uh, Richard Irvin, for that matter. Richard Irvin, you know, one phone call to uh, Kenny G, and he's set for life. So Willie Wilson kicked in. To, so he doesn't have to raise money, so uh, he'll be there for the long run. Uh, now, he has, he's come on the show, and he has admitted in the past that he voted for Donnie Trump in 2016, uh, that he voted for Bruce Rauner. He's friends with Bruce Rauner, so he's a Republican. Ugh. In fact, it's... <laughs> every time he does that, it cracks me up. Every time! Uh, and uh, so... Um, uh, yeah, so he says uh, he's admitted in the past he's Republican, but when asked a question, I can't remember who the reporter was. And I really apologize. I like to give reporters their due, their shout out. May have been a WTTW reporter asked him point blank, uh, "Did you vote for Donnie Trump or Joe Biden in the last election?" And Willie Wilson said it's a personal question. And he's not going to answer it. Now, come on, come on, Willie Wilson. That that that's that's like worse than a duck in a dodge, in my humble opinion. I mean, to like concoct some funny phony and funny excuse for not answering like a very obvious question it's not a personal question a personal question would be something about i don't know how you get along with people in your family or something like that which would be off limits okay <laughs> we don't need to know that and uh so knowing who you vote for is not a personal question it's like a, a public statement of your values. Like, who do you vote for? And it was a clear-cut choice in 2020, Donnie Trump or Joe Biden. I think we all agree. People who lost the election claim they won the election and stormed Capitol with, like, nooses to string up Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. So, I mean, it's a legitimate question. 
But Willie Wilson won't answer. And why won't he answer? Because, duh. If you say you're for Donald Trump in the city of Chicago, that's like two strikes against you. And in baseball, as you know, three strikes and you're out. I'm not a doctor. Okay. <laughs> what was that? What, what, was that about uh, COVID? No, I can't remember of course. who said that. Of course. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but take these horse pills nonetheless. So I don't, you know, Willie Wilson, you've always been a good friend of this show. You've come on this show. Once you gave me a Willie Wilson for Mayor t-shirt. Oh, hell yeah. Let me get that. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll drive it over. Uh, next time I drop a flash drive off at your house, which, by the way, will probably happen next month. So get ready. Uh, and or no, I have to drive to pick up the flash drive. There's only one flash drive to hide out. <laughs> what an operation. What an operation, ladies and gentlemen. We do a show at the hideout, which uh, first Tuesdays, we had a great first Tuesdays last week. I urge everybody to check out next first Tuesdays, which will be just as great. Uh, and uh, so to do drop the recording on our show our humble little uh, podcast, uh, hide, the hideout. For some reason, I don't know, email doesn't work to you. What do I know? I'm just some old guy. They, they, the millennial who runs everything at the hideout goes, here, this is a flash drive. Take this flash drive to your producer. He'll know what to do with it. So I dutifully drive uh, to Dennis's apartment. It was fun. I listened to music on the radio, which Dennis and I chatted. I hadn't seen it. By the way, D, that's the first time I've seen you since 2020. Yeah, I know. You know I mean? I see every day Crazy. on the screen. You're looking good, by the way. Oh, Very my fat. gosh. Thank you. And then he had a show off, ladies and gentlemen. He had a show off because I'm very proud of the fact that I've been doing these stretching exercises. I can finally sort of put my one leg over the other leg at the oh. knee. And I'm like, D, look at this. Look what I'm doing. And Dennis is like, oh, you mean like this? And then he does it. Yeah, yeah. I think it canceled out, though, when I started talking about me having that plantar fasciitis or whatever. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You, gotta, you can't um, play around with that stuff. I'm an old guy. Anyway, I don't official. know where I was. Flash drive. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> what anyway, is this oh, show? Yeah, so I got to go back and get the flash. Because apparently they only have one flash drive. Uh, ben, we're really hard up on flash drives. Can you go get that flash drive? All right, I'll go back to D's house and get it. Uh, anyway, so Willie Wilson, come on. Come on, Willie Wilson. It's not a personal question. You know, who are you? That, that, that is like easy. Just say it. I voted for Donald Trump. Why? Why did why did why did you vote for Donald Trump? What made you think Donald Trump was more qualified to lead our country than Joe Biden? Say it, admit it. People want to know. When you say uh, it's too personal for me to answer, everybody kind of knows you voted for Donald Trump. Because if you voted for Biden, you'd admit it. You'd be in line with eighty five percent of the people in the city of Chicago, and it wouldn't be make you a target for Lori Lightfoot. You know what I'm saying, D? Uh, just admit it. See. Your strength, in my humble opinion, is that you're not like all the other politicians. You're unique. You're different. You are who you are, and you don't try to hide it and cover up. So why are you covering up something as basic, as elementary, as who you voted for in the presidential election? Right. Or maybe you didn't vote. Now, here's the other thing, D. Now, follow me on this one. Uh, Willie Wilson and I, and, you know, I'm not one of those people hating on you, Willie, for this. I defended you when all the people were hating on you, giving out the money. I defended you when Bruce Rauner distanced himself from you. Remember that? When you gave out the money, then Bruce Rutter, oh, 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 I didn't know about this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I defended you, Willie Wilson. Don't forget that. And so, yeah, you gave out the gas. I, did, I defended you on that one, too. But now, here's the thing, D. Uh, what if you're a person who took the gas money from Willie Wilson, filled your tank with gas, right, follow me on this, but are a big believer uh, that Donald Trump has to be defeated. 
and Willie Wilson probably voted for Donnie Trump, just the fact that he won't say it. So are you still going to vote for a Donald Trump supporter for mayor, even though he gave you the gas money? What is your price, Chicago? That's the question. Is it a $50 gas card? Is that enough to tip the balance and get you to throw out all your principles and values? Let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Irvin, lifelong, basic, centrist Democrat type is running as a MAGA man, but he's doing it for $25 million. Hello. Oh, doorbell. Oh, could that be Delmarie Cobb? How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Delmarie Cobb. And let me just finish my last point and then I'll bring you on because I think you'd be interested in my last point. We'll probably get to this uh, eventually, Delmarie Cobb, a dear friend of this show, uh, political strategist, political consultant. Uh, I'm not going to say how long she goes back, but let's put it this way, folks. We're kind of in a tie, me and Delmarie Cobb. We've been around this town about the same amount of time. And uh, I remember her from the Jesse Jackson campaign. That's when I met you, Delmarie. Uh, anyway, so where I was at, Willie Wilson just announced he's running for mayor, Delmarie. And he wouldn't reveal uh, who he is, uh, who he voted for in the presidential election. Now, to me, that is a sure indication that he voted for Donald Trump. Um, that's just my theory. Uh, and so then I was asking, well, if you took the gas card from him, if you took money uh, from him for fill up your gas tank, does that mean you're obligated to vote for him, even though he per- probably voted for Donald uh, uh, Trump? Delmarie, what are the ethics in an issue like that? <laughs> I don't know if there are any ethics in in terms of being a voter. As I always say, there's no permanent friends or permanent enemies, only permanent interests. So what you have, what the interest is, is I need $50 worth of gas at my gas tank. That does not mean that I'm going to necessarily vote for you. As Harold Washington said, when he was running, you take the money and then you vote the way you're, you, you vote your conscience. And so that's what this is all about. Uh, I am with you 100%. We'll get into Harold. It'll be, it's his hundredth birthday. I cannot believe that on uh, Friday. I want to say April 15th. I always remember cause it's tax day and exactly. uh, the great Harold Washington, greatest mayor of the city of Chicago ever had in my humble opinion. I think Delmarie Cobb agrees with me on that one. And uh, Delmarie, I'm going to say this, I've been believing this more and more. I wonder what your thoughts are. This are second greatest mayor of city of Chicago ever had Eugene Sawyer there. I said it. Okay. Uh, number one, Harold Washington. Number two, uh, Eugene Sire, and everybody else is tired. And I agree with you 100%. Yes. And uh, by the way, Rod Sawyer will be our guest, son of Eugene Sawyer. Just want to point that out. will be our guest at the hideout uh, next month. We'll be talking ward maps. So I'm looking forward to Rod Sawyer, who may be a candidate for mayor before it's all said and done. All right, Delmarie, plenty to talk to you about. But I know at the top of your agenda, you want to talk about David Moore. He's running for secretary of state. Uh, he's been on the show several times. Good friend of the show. And uh, he is the under the radar candidate. It's what I was telling you. He's the under the radar candidate. Uh, he and Delmarie works for him, just so you know, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm not allowed to make any endorsements on this show, okay, at all. But I got, I, my heart is kind of with David Moore. I'll just go put you with. That. I like underdogs. Um, I like how he's vowed not to. Uh, turn not to use this as a jumping board, a springboard to another uh, race. Uh, and I just like, I just, he's just kind of like a, 
uh, a real deal kind of guy. I don't agree with him everything, Dumbery. You got to know that. He's a little more conservative than I am on a lot of issues. But um, Secretary of State is not an ideological office. It's a service office. That's kind of how I look at it. Uh, your thoughts on how your candidate is doing in this race? And what you just said is is so important because that's exactly how David Moore is looking at this race, is that it's a constituent-driven race in terms of providing services to the residents of Illinois. And it's one of the few offices in the state that actually touches almost everyone in the state, uh, all 12 million people, because whether you drive or don't drive, you have, uh, you need a call, uh, you need a ID. And uh, so you have to have a state ID, whether it's a driver's license or one issued by the state. So each, so at every level, you're being touched by that particular office. And so that's why it's so important that the person you have in that office is not there to use this as a political stepping stone for their career, but actually using it as a launching pad to be more responsive at, uh, to the voters of, of Illinois and all the residents. Now, uh, Delmarie, uh, you were a little uh, irritated, to, to put it mildly, at uh, uh, well, the Chicago media, myself included, I got the email from you, uh, that, uh, reporters were treating this as like a two person race between Alexa Giannoulis, whose commercial we aired at the top of the show. We were talking about at the basketball commercial, uh, Anna Valencia, who has the endorsement of JB Pritzker as though David Moore was not in a race. And I got a, an email from you, uh, and it was classic Delmarie, uh, Delmarie doesn't, uh, pull any punches, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, do you, in your humble opinion, is he still David Moore getting ignored, ignored by the media, or did your email kind of wake uh, folks up, getting more uh, press attention? Well, it did give them more attention in that they know they need to mention him <laughs> because they weren't even mentioning him. And so now they mention him, even if it's a throwaway line, they still have to mention him. And, uh, and that's what I'm saying, the idea that you can cover a race and just decide as the media who the front runners are and that the other person in the race is only three people in the race. And the third person in the race, you don't even mention them because it's only about two people. And, and especially when the last poll that anyone released showed that the race was 13%, 13% and 12%. And by any other estimate that is called a dead heat. Yeah. Well, all right. I have to concede that point to you. Uh, when it, when the poll is a dead heat, all three candidates who are in the dead heat uh, must be mentioned. Absolutely. I agree with you 100 uh, percent. And in general, I agree with you about this, uh, this race that David Moore has been uh, largely ignored because he doesn't have the, either the pocketbook or the connections that the other candidates have. But I'm going to push back with you in general when it comes to crowded elections. Get your thoughts on this right now. The first congressional district race. I want to say, and don't quote me on this, Delmarie, I think it's 15 candidates, Bobby Rush's old seat, or Bobby Rush is, not, is retiring. I think it's I, between 20 and 25. Oh, my God, I lost track. I humbly <laughs> apologize. 20, let's just say 20 to make it easy, okay? Uh, no, we'll go in the middle. We'll split it. 22. Uh, and so how is a reporter supposed to cover that race? Do you have, do you have to, are you obligated to mention all 22 or 23 or 24, whatever it is, candidates who are running in that race? No, of course not. And we know that uh, traditionally media have 
covered uh, candidates based on polling. That's their determination because otherwise you wouldn't have a barometer any other way. And so based on polling, as you know, if you're down to 5% or, you know, that's usually the threshold. If you're as low as five, lower than 5%, they don't cover you. Uh, and we know that uh, the candidates who are at one and 2% get angry at that. Yeah. But, um, but you have to have some kind of threshold, certainly when you've got 20 candidates in a race. Absolutely. I lose my mind. I've not written about that race at all. I don't, I have no intentions of writing about that race. Uh, my guess is, is Jonathan Jackson is going to win. And I say that only because his last name is Jackson and his daddy is Jesse Jackson. Uh, but I, that's just a guess, a hunch. And I am guilty uh, if, with that race, whatever reporter is in the David Moore Secretary of State race. Do you follow what I just said, Delmarie? I just assumed that uh, Jesse Jackson Jr.'s son, excuse me, Jesse Jackson Jr., good God, that was 40. <laughs> Jesse Jackson Jr.'s brother, Jesse uh, Lewis Jackson's son, would be the front, raider, front runner, and I'm sure that Pat Dowell and all the rest of them are now mad at me for having said that. So I uh, I sit corrected. But well, that, I would, that I, would, that's an insane race. Go ahead, Delmarie. Yeah, and I think, you, you know, as I said, uh, before, when Jesse Jr. stepped down, it, uh, you had um, 22 people in the race. And uh, so that's what happens in these races because, of course, the seats become, are, don't become available for, you know, years and years and years and years, in, in this case, decades. And so everybody has all this pent-up uh, political ambition, and certainly there some some deservedly so and some not. And, uh, you know, you see, this is your one chance to get your name out there and try and go for it. Mm -hmm. And given that nobody's going to get a whole lot of votes, because you don't need a whole lot of votes at this point when you got 20 some people in the race, uh, everybody feels they got an opportunity and a chance of coming out on top. Yeah. All right, folks, just do yourself a favor and at least check out David Moore's campaign uh, before you just follow whoever is uh, airing commercials. Just yeah, go to our website and, and see actually who is uh, talking about issues versus talking about who endorsed them and how much money they raised. Very good. All right, let's move on for that one for a while. I may bring it back when I talk about Richard Irvin. Uh, I gave you an assignment. It was a simple assignment. Uh, I sent you a picture of a headline that ran in uh, Saturday's New York Times. This is uh, sort of burning a hole in my brain. Um, I wrote a comment about it for the reader. It hasn't come out yet, uh, Delmarie, but this is really on my mind. And so let me just read this. This is uh, the headline that the New York Times wrote. Um, it ran on a story on in Saturday's newspaper. Uh, I don't know how many people see Saturday's New York Times. Most people are probably Sunday New York Times reader. But it has to do with uh, Justice uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson uh, finally being elevated to the Supreme Court, voted by the Senate uh, to be on the Supreme Court. Uh, and in the aftermath of what, oh, I don't know, uh, a very heated uh, hearing that she had before the Senate where she was um, – attacked by leading Demo uh, Republicans. This was the headline. After grilling judge, GOP sees opening to win black voters. And the GOP, uh, just so everybody knows, stands for the grand old party, the Republican Party. So it's they, you might just say, after grilling judge, Republicans see opening to win black voters. I read this headline, uh, Delmarie, and I thought that the real subhead was, I think I told you this already, but I'm going to tell it to the listeners, um, 
Republicans and the New York Times, apparently, think black voters are stupid. And I say that because I don't know how anybody could have watched or read about the hearing of uh, the, the, the attacks that Ketanji Brown Jackson took from Republicans like Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, and Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, and Senator Josh Hawley. How anybody could see that and think that that would be appealing to black voters. Help me out, Delmarie Cobb. <laughs> I'm as confounded as you are. Um, no, I have no idea how they can spin that. But, you know, people do think black people are stupid. Um, that's not new. And, and, and they show it every day that they think we're stupid. And so I'm not shocked that somebody could look at those hearings and then come to the conclusion that their forcefulness or their, you know, or the disrespect that they showed to her uh, will somehow be interpreted by black people as, oh, here's an opening for me to join the Republican Party. Because that was the party that really, you know, bashed Kataji Brown Jackson and tried to get to the facts. So obviously that's their spin. But Republicans are very good at that. And um, as you know, we talk about it all the time. They are very good at spin. So ultimately, yes, they are. They got the New York Times to fall for it. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I just want to say this, uh, that the New York Times, shame on you for writing that headline. It's one thing to get spin from Republicans, and it's another thing to put it in a headline. And I would think that the New York Times, somebody at the New York Times really screwed. When I saw it, I thought it was a joke. When I saw that headline, I thought it was like the onion. You know what I mean? It was like uh, absurd. Oh, you think that folks are going to appreciate the fact that you trashed this exceedingly qualified judicial candidate for a week straight, all but calling her a pedophile. You think that black voters are going to go, wow, thank you, Republicans, for doing that. I think I'll vote for you. Do you follow what I'm saying? I got to wonder about the New York Times, Delmarie. I know. Well, I think, you know, there's also this effort currently to try to show balance. Um, and I think that that was their effort at trying to show balance. Oh, we're going to show you the other side. We're going to cover it, too, because um, there's no way you could come to that conclusion in your right mind. Wow, that's um, uh a basketball there in basketball, they call it riding the ref. So you work the ref with the ref makes a call against you start screaming and yelling at the referee and mm -hmm. it gets in the referee's mind. And so the next time the ref will give you a call. Do you follow what I'm saying? And I, uh, I think that's what Republicans are clearly uh, doing with this. The other thing they're doing, and I want, I want your uh, reaction to this. You and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, if they can't convince black voters and in my column, I draw a parallel to lefty voters like myself. If Republicans cannot convince black uh, voters or lefty voters uh, that there's anything worthwhile in a Republican to vote for them, which they can't because there isn't, uh, the next best thing is to demoralize them and get people to think there's no point in voting because you can't lose. So this, I think, a headline that says that somehow or other, this utterly ugly and obnoxious attack 
on uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson will actually result in more black people voting for the Republican could have an impact like a jujitsu impact of demoralizing voters, uh, liberal voters or lefty voters into not voting at all. Your thoughts on that? Oh, you know, we've talked about that many times that that's part of the Republican strategy is to uh, campaign negatively to um, to curtail the black vote. Uh, and, and it works. And so, you know, that they're always the difference between Republicans and Democrats is that Republicans never let up. They never let up. If they win, they keep trying to win. They keep trying to get more gains. If they lose, then they just keep straight ahead, you know, eyes focused on the prize to overcome whatever ground they lost. We, on the other hand, as Democrats, we have a win and we sit back and admire our win. We don't understand that, okay, you won, now go on to the next one. And that's what Republicans do. If you look at McConnell, I mean, all you have to do is look at this Congress. And since Biden's been in there, they haven't let up, not at all. I just wrote that down. Uh, that is a great line. The difference between Republicans and Democrats, Republicans never stop. We Democrats, we we, we sit back and admire our win. I know. Oh, aren't we good? You know, are we? Uh, you're so right. That's what happened with Obama. 2008. By 2010, Republicans swept everybody out or pretty much took control of Congress. And uh, you're absolutely correct. Democrats were looking at themselves in the mirror saying, oh, boy, are we pretty? Are we smart? Right. And that's why, I was, you know, and that's why I've always said Republicans vote every two years and Democrats vote every four years. And the reason they've made so many gains on us legislatively is because they are now controlling most bodies of government. Um, gee, by the way, we're going to get into Richard Urban in a little while, but uh, vote every two years, every four years. This would be the every two years. So are you feeling a little pessimistic about Democrats' chances uh, in November's election? I mean, I feel, I, I feel uh, pessimistic, mystic, but mainly not because of what Biden has done, but the way it's been covered. I mean, that's another example of just how all of his accomplishments have been covered. And every news story is about what hasn't happened, Mm -hmm. not about what has happened, but about what hasn't happened. And that's crazy. Why are we spending all this time talking about what what he hasn't done instead of listing all the major accomplishments that have taken place in a short amount of time under a pandemic. And when you ask that question, what's your answer? Is it uh, the Democrats fault, the media's fault? What? I think some of it, because I've seen it over and over. And, and when I first saw it, so having been a reporter, if somebody had told me that I would have told them they were a lie. And that is that, the media sometimes are like lemmings and just follow each other over the cliff without asking any questions. And so you have group think and that's what you see. I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier about David Moore. Um, If, if one reporter discounts him 
and says there's only two people running and these are the front runners and these are the only two people we should be talking about and looking at, then all of a sudden that's what everybody else does. Yeah. And so the media are doing that in terms of Biden. You, ha- I, I mean, I watch all the news shows. I'm just fanatical on Sunday watching one talk show after the other. And they all start off the same way. You know, the inflation and the war and Afghanistan and, you know, and he didn't get this bill passed. And, you know, where is he now in the pandemic? Not about all the other things, you know, unemployment at 3%, all of those things that you should be talking about. Yeah, no. And, and I also, uh, let's not forget the point you made earlier. We're, it's called working the ref. And that is really going on all the time. Uh, it's working the ref. And it successfully lowered the bar on a couple of fronts that are advantageous to the Republicans. Uh, so, yes, the Republicans are far better at playing the game uh, than Democrats. And what is it? What is it about the vanity of Democrats, Dumbry? Help me out on this. Like that pause, you know what I mean? To like just admire themselves after a win. Help me out on that one. You know what I mean? I, it was so obvious with Obama in 2009. You remember you know, oh, you're uh, on the opposite side in the primary, so you, you got a taste of it from that perspective, too. Talk about it, uh, Delmarie. I mean, to, to show you, I mean, the, the, the irony or the, that was just crazy for me. Uh, one of the things that I went through, you mentioned uh, that I supported Hillary in, in the primary. But I always say most of the people I supported in the primary for president have not won (laughs) because for me primaries are about voting my aspirations they're about voting for who i wish would be the nominee and if they become the nominee all the better but if they don't then i go with the nominee and so how many white reporters asked me would i support barack obama in the general and I looked at them like they were nuts. Yeah. <laughs> of course I support Barack Obama in the general. He's the nominee. I'm a good Democrat. Why wouldn't I? But all of a sudden it was like, oh, if you didn't support him in the primary, then you're not going to support him in the general. And that was the craziest thing to me. I had never had anybody do that. I mean, I was Bill Bradley's state director in 2000 when he ran for president. Did I vote for Gore? <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't forgot that you worked for Bill Bradley. Uh, you, Bill, did Bill Bradley make it to the Illinois primary? No. Uh-uh. He did not. Yeah, because I was ready to vote for him, just the basketball did. connection alone. Uh, <laughs> but he did come here. He did camp, do some campaigning here. He did, I yeah. And, and I think he had a delegate slate uh, that he set yes. up for Illinois. I do remember, vaguely remember that. But I was disappointed that he dropped out before the Illinois primary. Uh, Gore, uh, Vice President Gore, had already consolidated. Our right, ancient history there, I'll uh, avoid uh, that discussion. <laughs> All right. Um, so Stacey Davis Gates is going to come on the show uh, later this week, and we're going to take a deeper dive on this one. But I'll ask you as well. Uh, Stacey's really eager to talk about this. So there's something about uh, a black woman that Republicans really just really go hard after. I mean, the attacks of Katanji Brown-Jackson, I think of Maxine Waters, I think of Felicia Wilson, this is just off the top of my head, the congresswoman um, from Florida. I think of uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, the congresswoman from Texas. And I'm sure there are many others that you could uh, mention, Delmarie. There's something about a black 
and up this this has to be in the sentence left left woman or liberal woman Katanji Brown Jackson is basically a liberal that really fires up Republicans so Republicans are saying we're not against Katanji Brown Jackson because she's a black woman we will support a black woman and then it's like Candace Owens they would support her you get what I'm saying <laughs> but there's something about a liberal to left black politician woman that just fires up the Republican rabbit dogs. Please explain to me what's going on here, Delmarie Cobb. I don't know, but what I think part of it is, it's not just being a black woman. I think it's being strong, the perception of being strong, the perception of being independent, of being ambitious, of being intelligent. I think in their minds, all of those are threats to their manhood. And I think that's really at the core of why they're so rabid when it comes to black women is because it goes against everything that as a white man, they're supposed to be the king of their castle. They're supposed to be the king of their company. They're supposed to be the king of their, of the economy and the idea that a black woman, not one of their women, but a black woman would dare to try to upset the apple cart and see herself as equal in any of those realms, I think is a threat. And it's a threat that resonates with their voters. Oh, absolutely. It's a threat. I mean, just being, I mean, no matter what kind of black woman, I, I, I can't say what I w- what would like to say on, on the air, but you know, it's just like when you're driving a car and you accidentally cut off somebody, mm-hmm. you know, you, you change lanes and you accidentally cut them off. I'm not just a B. <laughs> I'm a black B. <laughs> yeah. When it's a white driver. So those are the things that you deal with every day. And so they're, they're amplified in the setting that we saw the confirmation hearings. Uh, and then, of course, uh, they're, after the confirmation hearings, their continual amplification of it uh, in the fundraising appeals, which I've received. I don't know if you get Republican fundraising appeals. For some reason, I do. Uh, in terms of emails, I get, I get uh, inundated with them. And uh, so they're already talking about uh, child porn and uh, they have their talking points left over from this, which are just head scratching. So uh, what's your response to when they say, well, we're not, uh, it's not racial. We're not prejudiced. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was, uh, and then they'll name like some conservative black woman. If it was this black woman, we would have uh, happily voted for her. What's your response to that? Yes, if it's a black woman who's, um, <laughs> I have to censor myself. So if it's a black woman who um, is doing what we're telling her to do and is making nice to us and is uh, regaling us and is lifting us up and putting us on a pedestal, then that's a good black woman. Do you ever, do you have any friends uh, Delmarie, uh, black women who are uh, Republicans, Trump supporters? No, because we wouldn't be friends long. 
<laughs> I, I, I don't have any. I know they exist in the universe. I know that Donald Trump. I did know some. I did know some. In fact, you just made me think about it. So there is a woman, there are a couple of women in Chicago, a couple of black women in Chicago that I I have had some interaction with. Uh, I try to limit it because I know it will not, it will not end well. So it's like, let me just make sure I only talk to them for 60 seconds. But we have sat on panels together. And, um, in fact, one woman came to my uh, the Ida B. Wells event last summer, mm-hmm. and uh, she came over to me, and um, she reminded me who she was. And I said, oh, yes, you and I were on a panel together, and uh, you're a Trump supporter. She, and she said, yes, yes. And she said, but I, you, you know, I was talking about, you were talking about Ida B. Wells, and I have to come to anything that's about Ida B. Wells, because Ida B. Wells, you know, she was a Republican, and and uh, and I'm like, oh, my God. So I had to get away from her because there is no one in the world more progressive than Ida B. Wells. There was no one more progressive than Ida B. Wells. She was a Republican because every black person at that time was yeah. Republican. And the fact that this woman is using that as a reason that she can. And I'm thinking, did you just hear our program? <laughs> because if you just heard our program with with Yvette Simpson, Simon, Simpson, how could you walk away thinking that somehow this is conservative? See, this 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 is why, and I I say you cannot have a legitimate conversation with most Republicans today. Just that that anecdote, and I'll, and I'll explain my point here. Anybody who knows anything about American politics knows that there's been a radical transformation of the parties and pretty much everything that the Republicans of Abraham Lincoln stood for are now represented by the Democrats and pretty much everything that the Democrats of that time stood for are pretty much represented by the Republicans. That's just a basic, just very elementary fact of American politics, Della Marie, you and I are old enough to know that those radical, hate civil rights, repress black people, Jim Crow Democrats of our youth, and our uh, when we were in our twenties, even either became Republicans or their children became Republicans, and they're now carrying on the same policies that they enacted when they were Democrats. Only they're doing it as Republicans, and yet. If you talk to Republicans about civil rights, they'll go, well, the Democrats were the ones who were against civil rights. The Democrats were the ones against Jim Crow. How can you have a legitimate conversation about anything with somebody who just blatantly makes stuff up and looks away from the truth? Do you follow what I said, Delmarie? Absolutely. No, I agree. Absolutely. And that's why when the woman said that to me, I was just like, did you see the program? I mean, between... Yvette Simpson and me, I mean, how much more liberal can you be? And you still are walking up to me talking about you're here because Ida B. Wells was a Republican? As if somehow we had a different program (laughs) than the one you saw. But it just goes to show you, it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, how good Republicans are at spin. Yeah. And, you know, and 
And I was just saying earlier is that you could watch them kill somebody, blood dripping from their fingers, and they would tell you, no, you, I didn't kill anybody. You didn't see me do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they play the game. And that's how generally they win. And that's how they get away with a headline, like the one that appeared this Saturday in the New York Times that I don't think I'll get over in a long, long time. Republicans spent the last two weeks utterly trashing this incredibly honorable woman who rose to the top ranks uh, in, in law. They spent a week trashing her. They said she wasn't qualified, even though she was overqualified or more qualified. You know, they painted her as this radical demon who favored pornography. And then they step back and go, yeah, I think we made inroads into black voters. Delmarie, I'm telling you, man, you're right. They're relentless. They don't quit. And shame on the New York Times for running that headline. That's how I view it. Exactly. Even asking a black woman what the definition of a woman is. What, what was that all about? Help me out on that one, Delmarie. I have no idea. I mean, I have absolutely no idea. You see, she was dumbfounded. She was like, <laughs> and, and she's more, she's far more brilliant than me. And she was like, okay, uh, you know, I'm not going to even bother to answer that because, the, and that was the best position she, she could have taken is that I am not even going to give this any validity. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this question, Delmarie. Uh, in the aftermath of her approval by uh, the Senate, and uh, so now she's on the bench. She's a chief justice. Uh, excuse me, chief. My wish. Uh, she's a justice. I've already elevated her. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be amazing? I know. Uh, well, it happened once uh, with Rehnquist. I'm really showing my uh, uh, geekiness. Uh, he was on the bench. And right, then, I know. Yeah, he got appointed. But uh, uh, it's going to take a lot of Democrats winning um, <laughs> the presidency to get the. But that would be amazing. I think she'd be a great chief justice, by the way. Absolutely. I really do. Um, but all right. Uh, she's on the bench. She's a justice. Uh, and uh, uh, and many I'm reading all the articles about it. Uh, black women across the country are saying this. What a great moment this is. You know, I could tell my daughter, my my niece, my younger cousin, what have you, my granddaughter, uh, that anything is possible. What if she had been a conservative black woman? Do you think there'd be that much pride in her elevation as the first black woman to the bench? It's certainly, I mean, it would have, you know, if they could have come up with a conservative black woman to the Republicans, that is, yeah. uh, to put in that seat, they certainly would have done it. Um, to to take any of our joy from us. I mean, that's what Clarence Thomas was. I mean, and I covered the Clarence Thomas hearings. And so I was there. And I know for a fact that that's how he got on the bench is because when, even though black people were upset initially, the bottom line is we decided to pull back yes. because after all, he's black. And we didn't want to be seen as being anti uh, the ascension of a black person when we should have, because since he's been on the bench, he's done nothing but help to erode all the gains that black people made. And especially this during the civil rights era. And so, and then, then you see what's happening now with him and his wife. And so, but that was a stick in our eye. That's why he was chosen. 
I covered um, not only the hearings, but people who knew him. I interviewed a lot of people who knew him. Uh, I don't know how I found all these black Republicans in Washington, but I think one told me about another one and another one, and I went to every one of them and interviewed them. And, you know, one of the things that happened, the backstory that I heard about uh, Clarence Thomas is that if you remember, William Coleman was actually supposed to be the next uh, Supreme Court justice to replace uh, Thurgood Marshall. And apparently, and he had a very good relationship with George Bush, President Bush. But apparently he has said something uh, about civil rights that was pro-civil rights. And it angered George Bush. And the word is that Bush then went out and told all the black Republicans, you can bring me anybody but William Coleman. And that's how Clarence Thomas got to be the nominee. And as we remember, uh, Danforth, if I remember correctly, uh, was his... Uh, mentor and did everything he could to shepherd him uh, through that whole process. And, and Clarence Thomas certainly wasn't qualified, certainly wasn't as qualified as Katanji Brown Jackson. Oh, you know, uh, Senator Danforth, uh, Senator John Danforth of Missouri uh, is uh, who Demarie is alluding to. Uh, And look, there's so many connections, Demarie. I could talk about Clarence Thomas and that hearing uh, forever. It triggers so much uh, in me to use a millennial term. Uh, It's very, it was one of the most cynical acts I've ever witnessed uh, in politics. Uh, The Republicans who say they don't believe in affirmative action uh, were clearly practicing their own form of affirmative action with Clarence Thomas. Absolutely. Uh, which is uh, very cynical. Uh, and William Coleman, uh, that's a name from the past. He was in the Nixon administration. He was a basic, your basic uh, old style black Republican, but he believed in civil rights and affirmative action. And, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's like those, there were black Republicans in my and Delmarie's time who were like, but they weren't sellouts. Do you follow what I'm saying, Delmarie? You know what I mean? Right. And, um, uh, Jackie Robinson was a Republican. People forget that. Uh, Jack, the great Jackie Robinson was a Republican. And so many other black people. It wasn't until my, I mean, my aunt, my great aunt who raised us uh, was a Republican. And it wasn't until John Kennedy is when she changed. Uh, but she didn't vote for Kennedy. She voted for Nixon. It was during his administration that she became a convert. Yeah, no, it's um, it's sad what's happened to the, uh, the Republican Party. Uh, and by the way, you said uh, there's a David Moore connection, which I will now make. Only I can make this connection uh, from Clarence Thomas. This is a sign of, of me crying for help. Uh, I don't know what SD is. I, today was the first time I ever heard of ESTY. I never heard of that thing before. It's I don't know if you know what it is, Dumber. It's not important. But I don't know what ESTY is, but I do know this. Uh, Alan Dixon lost his seat in the Senate from Illinois because he voted to confirm Clarence Thomas. He lost his seat. Alan Dixon was the incumbent senator uh, for the state of Illinois. He lost his seat uh, to Carol Mosley Braun, as you recall. I know you remember this one, Delmarie. Uh, in the, the year after uh, Clarence Thomas was confirmed, Alan Dixon lost the primary in 1992 uh, to Carol Mosley Braun. Uh, and he was one, he was a state exhibit A, of somebody who used the Secretary of State's office as a springboard to hire office. I draw it all back to David Moore. How about that, uh, Delmarie? Absolutely. And, and that is when you talk about the people who have um, used that seat as a stepping stone to higher office. Uh, Alan Dixon was one of them and George Ryan and Jim Edgar 
And, um, and so there's been a number of people who use that seat for a stepping stone. And that's why the seat is so, um, uh, I mean, people want it so badly is because they know what the possibilities are. And with Durbin uh, possibly serving his last term, um, people are looking at putting themselves in a position to succeed him. Yeah. And David Moore, on the other hand, is looking at ascending to that position to actually serve the people of Illinois, not serve them, their own political careers and desires. Uh, and uh, Alderman David Moore, I'm saying it to you directly. If you win this primary, if you win this election and suddenly you throw your hat in the ring for Senate, I will never let you forget that one <laughs> until Marie knows it. <laughs> I will never let you forget it, David Moore. Because you've come on the show several times and say, this is it. Uh, this is public service at its highest. And that's what I want to do. And that's why I'm running for this. That's not a springboard. Uh, speaking of springboards, uh, Cory Booker gave that moving address, uh, personal address uh, to Katanji Brown Jackson. I felt kind of guilty, Delmarie, because I was so dismissive of him when he was running for, I thought it was a very moving moment. Maybe I'm an old guy, it's sentimental. Um, but uh, I thought it was a very moving and compelling moment. And I've found myself strange kind of wishing he was the president. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so well, talk me off the ledge, Delmarie, go ahead. Well, uh, I, of course it was a moving moment and I, I think I cried all the way through it. I watched it several times and cried all the way through it each time uh, because it meant so much to one, um, have a black man defending a black woman to that degree at the, uh, on the highest stage. Um, and so that was very moving for black women. I can tell you, uh, for the very reasons you gave earlier, because black women aren't typically, uh, defended at that level. And, um, the other reason is because, I personally worked 30 years to make sure a black woman became a Supreme Court justice nominee. I fought everybody. I made a lot of people mad. Uh, and I didn't care because it should have happened a long time ago. And, and so the way she was moved by it, the way she was treated, all of that just resonated. And it certainly, believe me, his stock went up tremendously because of that moment for him to use his time, not to ask questions, but to make her feel better. And that's what it was about making her feel better. You're not going to steal my joy. And I've got your back sister. I've got your back. Yeah. It was a, um, it was a very moving moment. Uh, I found myself tearing up. Just listen to your recitation. I'm, I'm an old sap man. I cry at everything these days. I did too. At the drop uh, of the hat. I had to drop my hat. I'm going to watch it at Abbott Elementary telling everybody about it. Uh, and I don't have you seen that TV show? It's a sitcom. Oh, it's so funny. Uh, but there's a scene where there's this old teacher who's literally my age. And the young teacher says, I got your back. So I'm like, oh, millennials are all right. <laughs> They're looking out for their seniors. Um, all right, let's... Uh, Let's get back to uh, Earth where it's really cold and people are mean and nasty and throw out their principles. So I'm going to talk about Richard Urban's uh, gubernatorial campaign. Uh, feel free, uh, if you want, Delmarie, to defend him. Uh, <laughs> I, I allow my guests to disagree with me. This is a free country, and uh, you're free to say whatever you want on my show. Uh, so I 
think it's one of the most cynical acts I've seen in a long, long time. This man, uh, as far as I could tell, uh, Richard Irvin has been basically a centrist Democrat. He maybe he voted a Republican here or there, or the, this or that, but essentially his worldview kind of reminds me of like a descendant of William Coleman. All right. And uh, he was a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, he praised Pritzker for the criminal justice bill. Uh, I just saw a story in the paper that uh, he, as mayor of Aurora, it was a, he was like a sister city or uh, welcoming uh, immigrants to this country, a sanctuary city, I should say. Uh, and, uh, and then Kenny G, Ken Griffin, the richest man in the state of Illinois, came to him and said, look, I'll back you with millions and millions of dollars if you told a line. And he opened up the window and threw out every principle he had and is trying to recreate himself as a MAGA man. He took the man's money and he's running uh, for MAGA and he's saying things like uh, all lives matter. And everybody knows what that means. That means black lives don't matter. And that's how I view it. Uh, Delmarie, very cynical act. Feel free to vehemently disagree with me. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it would be very hard for me to disagree with you on that. Uh, I, I just look at his commercials and shake my head in amazement. I, I just can't even believe it. I mean, you know, from afar, I mean, I certainly didn't know Richard Irvin, but from afar, I, I liked him. Um, but now that I'm getting to know him up close and personal, uh, oh, my God, um, he's scary. Um, the fact that he could say, what is that line? Um, you sent it to me, uh, the line about who look like us. Oh, uh, he said, uh, he goes, uh, nothing scares lefties, uh, like Ben Jarofsky, uh, than Republicans who look like me and think like, like us. us. Yes. Who look like me and think like us. Yeah. I mean, what are you saying? I mean, the idea that he would say something like that, who look like me and I'm your, I'm, I'm Democrats worst nightmare. So in other words, a black Republican, is Democrats' worst nightmare because who knows? I may just pull some black votes from Democrats and they may come to me. You know, he actually has a point. They may have come to him. I don't know if they're going to come to him now, given that he's painting himself as a black Trumpian candidate, which I don't even understand why he felt the need to do that. Well, I do. He, to win, to be the Republican nominee, he's got to win over MAGA. You can't be the Republican nominee and be William Coleman. And no, but you're so, not going to get any black votes. That, well, yeah, that's true. When you get into the general against Pritzker. Yeah. 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 You see, but you see the, the problem he has. He's got to, oh, he's got to go MAGA to win the primary. And, and then once he's the Republican nominee, 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 then we'll see what he does. But it'll be really hard to shed that MAGA stuff. But, you know, but he probably will if he becomes the nominee because it goes back to our very first conversation yeah. uh, during this interview, and that is that black people are stupid. That Republicans view black people as stupid. Yeah. And so we're going to vote for him because he's black, regardless of his positions on issues. That... As he brought up, you know, he brought up handouts. I mean, all the things that are trigger points, all the things that are insulting, all the things that are stereotypes, he says in that one commercial. 
Yeah, I, I really think it's going to be a hard sell, uh, Delmarie. You're going to have uh, every uh, black elected official in the state of Illinois lined up behind J.B. Pritzker uh, if Richard Irvin is the nominee. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? I um, Well, I hope that if we do, we actually get something out of it for a change. Well, that would be a change. Uh, and uh, that's as good a spot as ever to uh, pivot to Harold Washington, talk about things uh, that black people got out of an administration. Uh, Harold Washington turns, well, he passed, uh, but he would be 100 years old, though, Marie. 100! Damn! I can't get over that, you know? I know. Uh, this Friday is his 100th uh, birthday. Uh, talk about what Harold meant. In terms of divvying up the goodie, I know, uh, I remember Carol Mosley Brown, we already mentioned her once. I think she was one of the lawyers that got some bond deals when Harold got in. And I remember Harold Washington's people telling me, this is not complicated law. Writing, doing bond deals. Do you follow what I'm saying? Deborah? This is not like, you know, this is like property tax appeal work. It's basic. It's just like basic law. But to get it, to get the goodies, you got to know somebody. And black lawyers were locked out. And when Harold came in, he started to spread the goodies. Uh, talk a little bit about how he did that across the board. No, I, and, and uh, Fredrina Lyle, actually, who's also a, a judge now. I remember her firm was one of the first firms as a result of Harold Washington that actually got some bond work as well. And so one of the things he did was he came in and divided up the goodies. I mean, he said there's going to be equity. And, um, you know, not one group is going to get everything at the expense of another group. And that was why he was so great. I mean, when I look at, so I'm a, I'm a taxi person when I'm, when I'm downtown. I'm, I, I, I don't take lifts. I don't take Uber. <laughs> I refuse. And so for years, the taxi drivers... If you brought up Harold Washington, they would go on and on and on about what an incredible man he was and how good a mayor he was and how he helped them in terms of making medallions available so more of them could be their own uh, uh, you know, business owners. And so he, he helped people all across the board. And when you look at what has happened to the city in the 30 years since his death. Here we were at the pinnacle, and black people especially, at the pinnacle, and now we're at the depths. It is just unbelievable because he believed in investing in our communities. He believed in investing in our people. He believed in, he believed in equity and contracting. What he did, and, and when you said about uh, uh, Eugene Sawyer, you were absolutely right. You, Harold Washington opened up the contracting at O'Hare, and, and Eugene Sawyer made sure that it continued. So black people were way able to work on projects and, and contracting that they had never had an opportunity to do before. And in a blink of an eye, we got rid of all of that. Mm -hmm. Because once again, they played, you know, they played a game on us and made us think that one black person wasn't worthy of succeeding another black person. And 
you know, I remember being on VON at the time. I was a talk show host. And uh, Jesse Jackson would come on and he would say, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You know, let's keep what we got. Don't let's lose it. Talking about somebody else. Yeah. And we've got two bites of this apple. If Eugene Sawyer loses, we've got Tim Evans, but we've got to come together and be one. And, you know, we just could not do it. I mean, I sat in that, you know, behind that mic and took those calls and it was just crazy. Yeah. You know, everybody was, you were either, you know, anti-Sawyer or you were pro-Sawyer. And one of the things that Jackson said that I will never forget, and that is that Harold Washington's death was the noose, it was the rope, and the special election was the grease on the rope. Man, that's uh, deep. Uh, just so folks know, uh, Harold Washington was elected for his second term in uh, April of 1987. He died that November, heart attack. Uh, so it was still very early in his second term. And the city council met in December of 1987. And there was a bitter fight. Uh, the Harold Washington uh, coalition was divided between two candidates, Tim Evans, an alderman from the 4th Ward, and Eugene Sawyer, an alderman from the 6th Ward, uh, white alderman, who had posed Harold joined forces with several black aldermen uh, to um, uh, elect Gene Sawyer as the interim mayor until a special election could be held. Uh, and the Tim Evans supporters never forgave Eugene Sawyer or his supporters. And there was a mini civil war in Chicago's black community. Then in retrospect, uh, Delmarie, every single person, that I've ever talked to, speaking off the record from the Evans side, says, man, did we fuck that up. And I say the langs, the words they use, okay? It's a podcast, so I can say it. Uh, and do you hear me, Delmarie? Every single one tells oh, me, I man. I know, absolutely, I know. And, I mean, I they would beat me up. They would call and say, you know, one group would say I was for Harold. I mean, I, I was for Eugene Sawyer. And then another group would say I was for Tim Evans. And I would say, well, the fact that you don't know says I'm doing a good job because I'm being objective. Yeah. And, and I got caught up in it, uh, young lefty me. I got caught up in some of the rhetoric. But uh, I, I liked Sawyer. I liked him as an alderman. I liked him as a mayor. And as time goes on, I like him even more. And by the way, his son will be at the hideout. I said that once. I'll say it again. Rod <laughs> Sawyer will be at the hideout next month. Very uh, good friend of this show, Rod Sawyer. He uh, took over. Uh, well, oh my God, he beat your, we've, my God, Delmarie, he beat Lyle, Judge Lyle. I, I want to say, um, yeah, when Delmarie and I uh, get together, we just start talking ancient history, man. Well, but, I always say, uh, Ben, we were young together. Now we're old together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, we're old. Uh, all right. Uh, Delmarie, uh, we'll close it down. You want to say anything else? You want to give another shout out to David Moore? Go ahead. Absolutely. So, you know, if we don't want politics as usual, David Moore is really who we should be looking at to vote for for Secretary of State. Uh, because otherwise, all we're doing is continuing the same old thing. And everybody sits around and talks about we want something different. But yet we let people who are outside of our communities decide for us who's best for us. And this is the second most powerful office in the state of Illinois. 
And we should want the person who is heading that office to be someone who not only comes from our community, but also has the best interests of our community at heart, not their own best interests at heart. And that's what this should come down to. Somebody who comes from your community, who's gone through what you've gone through to get to where they are, who wasn't handed anything because of they were born rich or because they knew powerful people, but actually worked for everything they've gotten and will understand what it takes for you to live your life every day. Wow. All right, that's Del Marie Cobbs uh, speaking for David Moore. That's Del Marie speaking, not me. I don't make endorsements, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Del Marie does, but I don't, okay? Uh, but I just be, I ask everybody, be open-minded. Uh, in not this, this this Secretary of State election, but in the first congress. If you live in the first congressional district, I know you got like twenty five candidates. Be open minded, you know. Take it. <laughs> I'm being open minded, uh, Dumbery. I've already had on my show uh, Willie Willie Wilson's been on my show. He's a Trump supporter, and Raylo was just on my show. Raymond Lopez, who's running against Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So how about that, huh? Uh, <laughs> what, it's going to be interesting. So we're we're in, we're going to be in heaven, Ben. We're going to be in heaven. Okay. Political heaven. Yeah. With Willie Wilson as our mayor and Raylo. Uh, no, mayor. no. I mean, just watching the race. No, I know. I get you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, for old political chunkies like us, this will be an issue. How many, how many, uh, how many do you think will ultimately run? Do you have a sense uh, in the mayor's race? I probably know 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, my congressman Quigley's getting ready to run. Delmarie, I got a flyer from him, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to hold it up to the camera. Uh, viewer, uh, listeners can't see this, obviously, uh, because uh, we're audio only. But uh, I got this. He said, "My congressman, Representative Mike Quigley, is working to make our community safer. Chicago is a crime crisis." And I'm like, "When does a congressman send out a flyer about crime and?" in his hometown. You follow what I'm saying? Usually it's like, I'm helping you get social security benefits that you deserve, or I'm doing the fight to make the environment cleaner on a national level. You get what I'm saying? I've joined president Biden to get uh, benefits for you, uh, extend your student loan uh, debt, uh, you know, uh, passed, uh, that kind of thing. But that's what I used to say about Rom. I, I would say to people, he was congressman. Did you ever hear him speak out on crime? Did you ever hear him speak out on anything else in the black community when he was congressman? So why all of a sudden do we think he cares? Well, that, that's a whole, we could do a whole story. I know. About <laughs> we could do a whole story about Rom. Uh, I will never forget this. And we're going to close with this one. Uh, Rom got elected. He was uh, mayoral elect and Delmarie and uh, Miguel Devay uh, sponsored a, um, a gathering uh, on the near South side progressives. Remember that progressives. What can we do? What's the future? And I knew it was an uphill battle when that day, the New York times were back to the New York times had a headline on a a column saying Rahm Emanuel, the most progressive mayor, something like that. I'm like, wow, you know, here the real progressives in Chicago are gathering, licking their wounds in the, (laughs) you know, what can we do now to force this guy to not be such like a Republican, Mitt Romney-like Republican, and the New York Times is, what are you going to do, Del Marie? It's always I an know, uphill battle. I know. It's, it's always an uphill. All right, Del Marie, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it as always, uh, and uh, best of luck to you, all right? Okay, thank you. 
All right, that's Delmarie Cop. Uh, we also want to thank the man, myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. As Delmarie would tell you, as David Moore would tell you, Lexi would tell you, and Valencia would also tell you. Uh, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for DeMarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thank you.